dive in this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke. Excuse me, not Luke. I don't know where I got. Actually, said look. My first letter here was look. So turn to Philippians, not look or Luke, right? Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to dive in today. And uh, I want to say today's primary words are joy, all right? Primary words are joy. And even as I look at this, I look at this and think, man, if we did this, nothing but joy would be produced in the life of an individual if they die to idols and be raised to new life in Jesus Christ, right? There's unbelievable joy. He is the source of joy. In fact, only joy. Listen, if you want joy in life, I want to be really honest with you and tell you, if you want joy in life, there's only one source. The creator of it, his name's Jesus. And so if you're striving all day long looking for joy and happiness and all this stuff, right? If you don't go towards Jesus, you find crap. That's it. You find trash, you find junk, you find nothing. You might find an exhilaration in a moment, but you find nothing that sustains. And so there's joy found as we engage and embrace the source of life, the source of joy. It's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of his presence in our lives is these wonderful things. So joy is the primary word this morning. Starting in verse 3 of Philippians chapter 1, it says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. Just get a picture. Paul is speaking to the church at Philippi. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because, why? Because of your partnership. And the gospel, the ministry of the gospel, from the first day until now, and I'm confident of this, that he, Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, he who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. First thing we focus on, I thank my God every time I remember you. All my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The first thing I want you to look, we're looking at only two things this morning. There is joy in partnership. There's joy in partnership. There's joy in doing life with others. Paul, listen, Paul had it in this, in, in, in this, in this story, in this, in this letter, right? We see Paul sharing his affection for the church at Philippi. There are literal physical people that he is thinking about when he's writing this letter. He's saying, I am praying for you and faces coming to me and smiles come to my mind and there's all these beautiful things about you and I just celebrate with joy my relationship with but not just a friendship, but an authentic partnership with you. You see, when we read through Paul's letters, <clears throat> we see it maybe in Galatians or uh, Ephesians or Colossians or in First and Second Timothy and or Thessalonians and all of these letters, these epistles, these things that, that Paul writes, usually his language to the people who are listening is simple. He calls them children, right? He calls them children. Sometimes he calls them immature. Even though you should be eating spiritual meat, you're still drinking spiritual milk. You haven't grown. You're still immature. You're still children. You're still infants. You're easily tossed from here and there, right? We see it all the time. But Paul comes in here. He says, I write with God, you make me happy. I'm just full from the inner core of my being, filled with joy because you're my partner's. And also we go, ding, 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 ding. That's why. You see, when we think about the idea of partnership, what do we think about? We think about those who are peers, 
those who are running with us, right? Partners, those who are, who are side by side with us. And so Paul's coming and he's looking at his own life. He's looking at the difficulty of his life. Listen, Paul had it difficult. You ever read about his life? I mean, the poor guy, he got, he was shipwrecked. A couple of times, I mean, he was literally going on the ocean, right, looking at the waves. All of a sudden, thunderstorm comes in, waves begin to blow, and his ship broke into pieces, and he's left out there going, what do we do, right? And then one time, we know that he lands, he gets shipwrecked, and all of a sudden, all the, everything's coming together. They build a fire, he reaches in, and a viper gets him. Awesome. I'm trying to serve you, Jesus, and I get shipwrecked, and I get viper bitten. Awesome. Loving you today, God. Thank you, right? The whole thing going down. He's sitting there several times. Several times, he gets stoned to the point that everyone thought he was dead. You know, stoning, literally, we get, a, we get a mob and a mob mentality. They take you into a corner. They take these massive rocks. They put them over their head, and they begin to toss them at you as hard as they can. I don't know about you, but can you only catch one, right? And so they're literally, boom, hit him in the head, all this kind of stuff. And literally, like, all right, he's dead. Let's leave. And they walk off. And then later on, he stands back up in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he walks off. I don't know if he literally was raised from the dead. I don't know if he was healed. I have no idea what happened. I just know they thought he was dead. I don't know. I usually check people's pulse if they're dead. Not that it actually ever happened to me, okay, right? But if it did, I'd probably check their pulse, check their breathing, whatever happened. They thought he was dead. That's suffering. We know he was beaten and flogged to the point of death many times. We know that in his life, he lived this whole chunk of life over here, right? Became a Pharisee. Jesus knocked him off his donkey and said, hey, I'm Jesus. You're persecuting me. Stop it. Oh, and I love you, right? And he changes everything about his life. And everything over here, he had to leave behind. He counted it as rubbish, he said, right? As trash compared to the comparison of knowing Jesus Christ, right? But still he left everything to follow Jesus, right? And so here's this guy who's living life and everything is going bad around him. Can you identify and get an amen, right? Life is difficult, hardships and going on, and he's running the race set before him, right? He uses that language other places. He's running this race and he looks over... And he sees Buddy from Philippi smiled at him. What's up, right? Oh, you're partnered with me. Awesome. We hate running alone, don't we? We hate having to live life alone and face difficulties and hardships alone. And Paul looks over and says, what's up? We're running. To, it's the whole church running with me. Yes, you're my partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I suffer, so too do you suffer. As you go through hardship, I'm suffering with you. You understand. See, there's joy in partnership, Paul is partnered with and doing life with these people. Literally from the inception, it tells us in verse 5, it says, from the first day until now, which means he's writing around 60, 61 A.D., somewhere in the early 50s, maybe late 40s, the church at Philippi comes into existence. And from that very beginning, like, dude, we got your back. Not only that, we're running beside you. We're with you, man. You're like, ah. Oh. And so he comes. Can you, can you just sense the, the joy, the emotional felt capacity of Paul to have joy in the moment because these people are with him. They're encouraging him. They're speaking life into him. They're not just like, oh, you're so bad. You're doing this wrong. No, it's about you're awesome and we're with you and we love you and we want to encourage you. 
And he goes, oh, you're not children. You are peers. That's what partners are. Partners are peers, right? There are those who have gone from childhood, right, to adulthood. They've gone from a place of infancy to maturity. And Paul's looking at him saying, you're mature. You see, my dad, we have a great relationship, and I will forever, he will always honor me as son, and I will always honor him as father. But he said to me, just, I mean, he said to me again and again, Steve, like you're, you're like one of my best friends. And we talk through life like things that friends would share. And there are some things like, I don't want to know about that, right? You know what I'm saying? There's certain things about your dad you don't want to know, right? But he still sits down, he shares things with me, just personal things going on in his life and struggles. And, and we pray together, and we pray for things, and he prays for us, and he fights for us, all this kind of stuff, right? There's this, this he, said, he says, you know, he could have always, always viewed me as a kid. But no, there's this level of, of adult and maturity and conversation. That's what we all desire for our children, right? For them to grow to this place of, or even Jesus says, no longer servants, but we call you friends. I mean, when Jesus said that, you're like, what? Friends? With the living God? There's a, like the barriers come down and we can communicate and talk. Oh, this is crazy, right? We're friends of God and friends. It's crazy. There's this level of partnership and of doing life together. It's beautiful. And Paul has it in the moment. This week, uh, you know, this past week, literally this past seven days has been interesting for me. I'm going to be really transparent. For those of you who don't know me, you're like, oh, my gosh, he's saying too much. Pastor shouldn't say so much, but whatever, okay? We're a family. So, so last Sunday was my least favorite Sunday of my entire church experience at Vintage. Literally, I, I didn't like anything about it, right? Harvest was good. But anything that I was involved in, I didn't like it at all, okay? I mean, that's a true story, right? Harvest worships are like, oh, this is so Jesus, right? This sense of the Holy Spirit coming. But I'm like... Like I, I, like I was doing the whole thing of, of, of you know, getting alongside, saying, hey, let's get alongside of Sion Lane. They're going to India. My whole presentation about coming alongside and supporting them, I'm like, I, I just I hated what I just said. I did a terrible job, right? And I got up and I was, you know, my, my message, I felt like it was discombobulated. And that whole morning, I literally woke up and I told Randall, I feel frazzled. I feel anxious. I don't, like my mind is spinning. I'm like, what is this, right? And so literally I, I get done. We go to lunch with friends. It's all fine. I'm sure you all had a great time last Sunday. I hated. It, right? I just wanted to leave as soon as I got here. Right? So I go home, just being honest. Do you mind? Okay. So I go and sit on the couch. And you're like, don't ever say that again. Maybe. All right? So I go and sit on, so I go and sit on the couch. And I sit down. And everything begins to slow down. And then you know what happens? My frazzled anxiousness just turned to depression. And I don't say that to like, I mean, it, like literally. It's like, like, I'm not saying it to make light. I'm like, I felt depressed. I mean, I was like, I told him, like, all I wanted, I could just easily right now, it's like 5 o'clock, easily just go crawl into bed and just sleep until tomorrow morning and see nobody, right? And I'd be happy with that. Don't call me, right? It's like I just it was in that moment, and I was like, oh, my gosh, God, what is this? That's not a normal lifestyle for me. I don't necessarily, I don't always live in that place. I wake up the next day, and, you know, I think if I just go to bed, I wake up the next morning and feel a lot better, right? So I wake up the next morning, and I wake up to the same weight. Like, you may have, this may have a, don't raise your hand, but. A familiar weight that you wake up to. You wake up, and immediately as you wake up, it's like, mm, it's just there. I woke up, and I was like, oh. And I'm like, and I have to get up with the girls, and I have to, and with Rand, we have to, have to, we have to get up. We've got to get them ready. We've got to feed them breakfast. And I'm like, oh, I don't like my kids this morning even, right? Just let me go to bed. Let me just be by myself. And so I get them off, and Randall, Randall has an appointment, so I'm there in the house by myself, and I'm like, the last thing I need to do is just stay in this house. So I went outside. This one is on our front porch. So that was a huge step, right? Get out. It's like, oh, 
oh, get to the outside. Like, I'm, I'm making fun of it, but it was like literally this is what I was feeling. So get my Bible, get my iPod, just go out and begin to worship. I begin to pray. Here's what I didn't do. I didn't go outside or start rebuking the demon of depression, okay? Oh, you know, depression, I'm rebuking you in Jesus' name. I'll bind you. I'll cast you out. I'll leash you, whatever. Those things, I didn't do that, right? I said, Jesus, what's going on? Isn't that great that I can sit down in the comfort of a love relationship with Father and literally just have an, an honest conversation where I know he'll be transparent with me in return and I live in expectation of what he's going to say because I know he loves me too much to not say something? Like even in my sense of like oh, despair, I knew he was for me. I knew he was with me. I knew that he loved me. And I lived in the confidence he was about to speak or about to at least bring something to me. So I'm just there in the moment. I don't know how long. It wasn't like I waited like six hours like some holy man, right? It's like 10, 15 minutes, right? And I'm sitting there and just, and I'm like, God, what are you doing? And all of a sudden, you know, I begin to think about, I begin to think about vintage, right? It's pretty common. I begin to think about vintage. I begin to think about you. I begin to see your faces. And all of a sudden, it hit me. God, there are people who struggle with this feeling every day of their life. You know what happened in the moment? I loved you like I never have before. Because I had empathy. I had this compassion, a sensitivity. I don't know who y'all are specifically, but I was like, God, if they wrestle with this every day, and I'm barely making it after 24 hours, I think I'm pretty strong. I mean, God. So this is what I prayed. I I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. I wrote this prayer. I said, this is what I prayed. This moment, right? God, thank you for letting me feel this and experience this so that I can identify with those who experience this every day. Jesus, thank you for giving this to me. Thank you for letting me walk through this. Thank you. It wasn't like I prayed that and immediately went away, right? I was still there. But the idea was this. There was an identification, right? I identified with you, right? And the idea is we call, listen, we call it prophetic identification. Like, oh my gosh, what does it mean prophetic? All I mean, prophetic means God speaks, right? So God was speaking this into my life and allowing it to happen so that, for whatever reason, but primarily, I believe, so that I could identify with you so that it would propel me to pray for you in intercession like I've never prayed for you in my life. Why? Because I felt you. I was running the race with you saying, I get it. And you're like, I'm glad you get it. We identify. Oh, it's so nice to not run by myself. If you had looked over, if you could have seen in the spirit realm, right, the spirit world where only angels and father can be seen and live, right, you'd have looked over and I'd be like, yay, I got you, right? But I had you. I was partnered with you. I was running with you. There's something powerful, isn't it, about identification and partnership and walking through this with people saying, I understand. Paul's like, I'm so glad because my life has been so difficult to know that you've matured to a place of partnership. I celebrate this, right? And we come into this moment. I just say, I celebrated with God this thankfulness. And I prayed this other prayer. Let me see if I can find it too, right? Hold on a second. It was a really good one. I said, God, may each of these people be awakened to your love, affection, and father heart for them. 
God, may each of these people who are struggling be awakened to your love, awakened to your affection, and awakened to your Father heart. And you know why I prayed that? Because it's what I prayed for myself. My identification in my own struggle awakened a prayer for myself that has just spilled over into all of you. This is the joy in partnership. Do you see how that happens when you sit down with someone and you begin to tell them your story in partnership and doing spiritual life together? Because you were never, listen, you were never designed by God to ever be alone. Even introverts. You're never meant to live every day alone. Father, Son, Holy Spirit lived in Trinity and relationship from eternity to picture for us that we were designed to be in relationship with others. Jesus said, I'm not sending you out one by one, which would maximize reach. I'm sending you out two by two because you need partnership. You need relationship. You need those who are running the race with you so that they can have empathy and identify with you. And the beautiful piece about this, another joy you find in partnership then, is that you are partnered with people in your community who are struggling with the exact same things that you are struggling with. And because you've run, because you're walking in shoes that are similar to theirs, you can identify with them and you can begin to pray in partnership for them, for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be released into their lives, to bring salvation to every broken place in them also. What you're going through, listen, What you are going through is a gift. There's no other way of looking at it. Even if you're going through hell, it is a gift because now you'll be able to identify with others in a way like never before if you can take your eyes off of self and see them. And all of a sudden, ministry is awakened. Do you want know what your purpose is in life? Find out where you've wrestled and you've struggled and still continue to wrestle. And that's where God's saying, boom, there you go. That's the area of empathy and identification that I've released you into to bring Jesus to people just like you. There's joy and partnership. And in our small groups, that's what we're helping happen. We're getting you around all the crazy uncles and weird aunts and all those people. And we're going to get you there and say, hey, Jesus thought, listen, you're going to think I'm crazy, right? Jesus thought it was, per, it was his perfect will for a zealot to be best friends and a disciple alongside a tax collector. Zealots used to bomb houses of tax collectors. Not really probably, but something equivalent to that, right? They were polar opposites, and Jesus says, mm, perfect. I would bet that he had them partnered together to go spread the gospel. That's just how he works, right? He puts crazy uncles together and says, now go spread the gospel in partnership together. And so our small groups, we're helping facilitate those crazy relationships or identification and partnership and running the race with the people you don't necessarily get along with that are really different from you happens. I'm inviting you into that. There's joy found in partnership. But we continue on. Verse 6. So let me just kind of go back to verse 5, right? I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The second thing we're looking at is this. There is joy in the journey. But we have to define what that means. We have to define the journey. We have to define what we mean by that joy. Okay, so let's dive into this. Last week we talked about 
God's zeal. Remember his single-minded devotion to his people, right? That he was, he was passionate and zealous about us. He's undeterred in his affection for us. He's undeterred in his movement in our lives. He's always stirring. He's always moving. He is zealous. He is single-minded, single-mindedly devoted to you in his relationship with you. He is always moving. We said that's true. Then we can have confidence in him that he's moving and moving in a good way in our life. So in verse 6, Paul, listen, Paul speaks to the confidence. He names the confidence. He names his own confidence. He has in Jesus. He says, hey, I want you to know I am confident. Why? Because of the zeal, the passion, love of God, right? I am confident of this, of this thing. He who began a good work in you will carry it onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He is confident of the movement and the work of Jesus in these people's lives. He lived confident of God's work, of God's work in their life. And so we see, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So let's talk about the work. What exactly is the work? And this is going to kind of mess some of us up just a little bit, but just follow along. It'll begin to kind of come together. What is the work of God? What is the work of God? What exactly is Paul talking about? Well, I, I believe he's speaking about this. The work that only God can do, which is regeneration, or we call it salvation, or John 3, in John 3, he tells Nicodemus, it means being born again, right? Not being born again in the flesh, but being born again of the Spirit. And so Paul's coming along and saying, listen, there's this work that only God can do. It's the work of salvation, of regeneration, right? Of salvation, this idea of being born again. And I want you to know, right, this work, we all probably know know it. You can't accomplish and make that work happen in your own strength or power. You can't do enough good things. You can't do enough good things to have this salvation occur in your life. But if I read through here, and I kind of read through the language, it's also not just a one-time thing. And that salvation isn't a decision or a moment of something that just happens. It's not like a, it's not like I stamp a card, boom, I'm saved, right? Whoo, I'm glad that's over with, right? I made it happen. I'm written the land's book of life. Now I get to go to heaven. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit back. I'm just going to wait and try not to sin as best I can until I, until Jesus returns and boom, I made it. Whoo, man, just barely made it in, right? For so many of us, we, we have our understanding caught in what we call the, the gospel of atonement or the gospel of forgiveness. That all I have to do is say, God, I'm sorry, ask forgiveness, and boom, I'm saved. And that's kind of the end, right? And so when I read the language here of of Paul, he says, He who began a good work, right, regeneration, salvation, right? he, He who began a good work, an initiation point, right? Yes, salvation has an initiation point for us, right? God, He began a good work in you. He will carry it on to completion, right? He will carry it. There was a continual, ongoing thing, this completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but the day of Christ Jesus hasn't quite come yet. I haven't experienced the fullness of the kingdom of God being established on earth, right? The New, New Jerusalem hasn't come down to what it's going to mean, right? So all, all sorts of people know what it means. They're clueless. I'm just telling you, okay? They're sitting there living this whole thing. It hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened And so Paul is coming and saying, listen, 
The work of God has an initiation point, it has a starting point, and its completion comes at the fullness of the day of Christ Jesus. And so unfortunately, so many of us, we live this life of saying, oh, yes, and we, and we treat our salvation as a, something that happened in the past. I got saved, whatever, right? You tell your story. And we tell some story from the past. But Paul would look and say, well, how are you saved today? And what's the plan of being saved tomorrow? Because the idea is the work of God is a salvation, not as a one-time event, but it's a holistic salvation of self Every day from life, every day of life, as we're created and shaped into the image of Christ. Listen, this is called the gospel of the kingdom. I have an initiation point of entering into a kingdom that is not my own. And in that moment of entering in, yes, God, I turn, I'm sorry, I repent those big words, I ask you to come and to live in my heart and to be my forever friend, all of that stuff, right? And all of a sudden, Jesus doesn't go, boom, I crossed that one off, let me move on. He goes, all right, I've saved you, I've brought you to this place, now I'm going to save you again and again every day. What does that mean? It's a holistic conversion from death into life, from sin to wholeness, What I'm telling you is this, your salvation is not a momentary thing that happened. It's an everyday relationship of Jesus working in us to carry our salvation unto completion. How do we know we've attained it? When he says so. So my point in all of this, yes, you're like, well, what does that mean? I'm not really saved. No, it means... There was a moment of initiation, that moment of recognizing, yes, God, I'm living for my own kingdom. I'm the Lord of my own life. Now I recognize you've wooed me to yourself. You showed me how broken and how flawed I am. God, I can't live for myself. I can't save myself. God, would you help me? Would you come? And in that moment, with the supernatural power of his spirit, he comes and lives in us, and he says, now... It wasn't that. That was the beginning. Salvation is an everyday crawling on the altar of life and saying, Jesus, I sacrifice. I'm a living sacrifice. That's what it means. A living sacrifice is saved every day, right? Every day, living salvation again and again and again. I was saved, I am saved, and I'm being saved. Why is that important? One, it makes you live differently. Because I know people who got saved when they were six, and they live like hell today. And they're dying and going to hell. I don't care if they pray to prayer, if there's no fruit, that's an expression of a changed life. How do you know someone's a Christian? Because they are, it's a Christian tree. They've been planted as a Christian tree, and they, they produce Christian fruit. All right? They produce Jesus fruit. It's passion fruit in the best way, right? It's passion fruit. It's Jesus fruit. That's how you know they're a Christian. There's fruit that's been produced in their lives. Now listen, I know we're going to heaven. So let me just pause real quick. Oh my God, put my uncle and my brother. I'm telling you this. It's not our job to get to judge who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. Only Jesus knows. But all I know, if I'm going to be a Christian, it's a little bit scary if they say they're a Christian and they're living like hell, living like they want to, and there's no fruit in their lives. Jesus will get to deal with that. I don't get to judge them. That's fantastic. God, it's your job 
I will not judge anyone according to their time. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians. But what I'm saying is, in our lives, we recognize salvation is something that's an ongoing thing. So again, why is this important? Because it's the journey that we've been invited to. That's Paul naming it. He's saying, I'm confident of this. I find joy that he who began the work of salvation is continuing and will carry it on to completion. The joy, he's saying, I live in confidence, Philippi, that all of you have the Spirit of God moving in power. Not, he's not done with you. There's no one who's been forgotten. There's no one who's been left behind. You don't just get saved and mark it off and go to the next person to get them saved. No, he's saving you every day. It's a whole life-giving renewal every day of relationship with him, right? Every day I'm dying to self, every day I'm following him. So I look and say, I'm getting saved today and I have no idea what's going to look like tomorrow, but I'm being saved again tomorrow. He's coming. He's moving but he's never satisfied until i've reached the point of partnership in maturity with him he goes on let's look down here in verse 12 through 13 continue listen just listen to the language it changes the language you read this continue to work out your salvation have you ever struggled with that continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling what does that mean? He's saying, listen, every day you're being saved, so every day, don't live in fear like, oh my gosh, God, no, live every day like we talked about last week, in awe of God, who is Lord of my life, and therefore I say, it's not me, it's you. Come have your way and grow me into the image of Christ in Christian discipleship, right? Jesus says it's not a moment. He, invite, he doesn't invite us to a moment. He invites us to a journey. He doesn't invite us to a wedding. He invites us to a marriage. It's this whole beautiful reality then of living with him and of him saving us every day because I don't know about you, but I'm very prone to do whatever I want to do when I want to do and how I want to do without any kind of remorse or regard for anybody else. I'm prone to do that. I'm just letting you know. So every day, by God. I wake up and say, it's not my life, it's yours. Save me again today. doesn't mean when I went to bed I was sort of going to hell. That's not the point. Stop thinking heaven and hell. It's about growth and holistic maturity into the image of Christ. Salvation is not about heaven and hell. That's just a benefit. That's not what it's about. Don't ever say to someone, hey, if you die tonight, are you going to go to heaven or to hell? Ask them this, if you live tomorrow, will you live for Christ or not? Don't ask someone, don't make it an end game. Ask it about a life because most people don't die tomorrow. Some do. But I want to know, how are you living tomorrow? Are you living for him or not? Salvation is on a moment. Therefore, what that does, it awakens. Go, oh, so I'm not just, wasn't like I was saved. So God's still moving? It's holistic, yes. He's looking for partners who will run alongside of him. Those who are holistic. The picture God gave me just to, it was this was the idea of a potter in clay. All of you know what dirt is. You know what dirt is, right? We know from the, these ministers, we see them probably on television, because they don't really do it in real life at the time. From dirt you came until to dirt you shall return, right? And so dirt represents death. We were dead until something like life came to it. We die, we go back to dirt, right? It represents dirt. Do you know what dirt can do? Nothing. It's dirt. It's dead, right? Nothing happens in dirt, right? And so all of a sudden, Jesus, so if we think of dirt as clay, we see we're dead in our clayness, 
We're dead in our clayness, just sitting there, right? Just bleh. And all of a sudden, it's just a blob of stuff, right? And all of a sudden, Creator God reaches down like He did in Genesis. I'm just telling the Genesis story right here. Boom, come on, right? He reaches down into the dirt, into the clay, and He takes this mass, right? He picks it up, and He does this, and He plops it down. And it's its salvation, in a sense, right? It's not a perfect analogy, you know what I'm getting at. All of a sudden, that dirt all of a sudden has been touched by the living God. It's like a salvation moment. It no longer is a blob. It's like something. And he puts on the potter wheel. I mean, if you've ever seen a potter work in a potter's wheel, do it. It is, it is so cool. No lie, man. Like he's six, he puts that down and he gets his hands all wet, right? He's covered up. Don't think about Ghost, the movie. Okay, don't do that. Don't do that, right? Now you're like, I'm thinking about it, right? But there's a whole potter's wheel thing going on, right? And all of a sudden, it's beautiful in its holy way. And so you get this whole thing going on. That movie was weird, by the way. Don't watch it. So anyway, so this whole thing going on, and God has taken clay. He's taken dead. He's taken nothing. And all of a sudden, he's put it up here, and it has a purpose. We don't go, woohoo, the clay's saved. So good. Now you're no longer having to live in your blobness, Right? Gonna go. That's so good. Move on to the next blob, and you come in like, T- show us your pottery. Well, there's so much a blob of clay, right? I saved it, I pulled it out. No, 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 no. All of a sudden, what does the father do? He looks at it, and with joy, literally, he begins to put his hands on the clay, and he begins to shape it. And he begins to form it, and he is invested with zeal. I mean, listen, when you get with a potter who's working on the clay, I mean, sometimes they're talking, but their eyes are right here. They're just, and listen, it's important. Like the pressure of their fingers is so important. Don't push it too hard. It like crumbles and don't push on one side because it'll fall to the side. It's this perfect, intricate detail of working with fingers as it's spinning and keeping your hands the exact right, just wetness so they can continue to go around. Right? It's beautiful. And they're shaping, they're putting their fingers in. And the whole time, the only one who understands the image of what's actually in the blob is the creator. Therefore, if he's the only one who sees the image in the blob, then he's the only one who can get the image out. And so he's sitting there shaping it going, this is good. I'm getting someone who can partner with me and it's going to be good. And I'm just going to grow them. And the image is Christ's likeness, but there's this whole image of Christ's likeness, but our individualism also that God's designed and created in us, that we're all individuals. So he's in this whole mixture of Christ's likeness and individuality. It's this beautiful picture of how we fit into the body of Christ. And he's just shaping this. Going, oh, he's going to be a great, this is going to be a great whatever, right? She's going to be, it's a great whatever. Be, oh, and just forming us and shaping us. And do you know how we've reached to completion of the pot? When the creator says so. And that, my friends, is an invitation to a true picture of what salvation, of, the, of basically what we would call the gospel of the kingdom, is all about. I have an initiation point where I step into the kingdom, and from that moment on, I'm being shaped and fashioned and saved and made whole from brokenness to wholeness every day of my life. Don't ever ask anyone again, if you die tonight, you're going to go to heaven or hell. Say, if you continue to live tomorrow, whose kingdom are you going to be a part of? Who are you going to live for? Where are you going to find your joy? Listen, I'm not calling the gospel of forgiveness wrong. I'm calling it incomplete. I don't just get saved from hell and boom, I'm good to go the rest of my life. No, God saves me for a purpose of holistic salvation. And he looks at you and says, I love you. 
And there is joy found in this journey because I'm shaping you and forming you into my partners for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, go and don't get people saved and don't make Christians. Make disciples. And that means you have to then go and shape other people until they are formed into the image of the living God, Jesus Christ, because that's my plan. Don't get people saved. Make disciples. Don't evangelize to get people saved. Evangelize to invite them into a kingdom of salvation now, tomorrow, and for the rest of their life. And I don't know about you, but there is joy for me found that I see that God is so zealous that he is shaping and moving every day and creating me to his image of saying I'm not satisfied, broken. I'm satisfied only when they've been made whole. And there's joy. And Paul said, I'm just confident. I'm so confident in God. What he began, because you couldn't do it, he will finish. Because he's undeterred in his desire and his affection to shape you. And you were designed to be. For our small groups, that's the intention. The intention of our small groups is to stick you in the context of, of partnership, to stick you in the context of relationship, right? And in the place of the study is this. This is real simple. I've already named it. There are things, sin, disobedience, that's in your life. And you know what disobedience does? It's like it, the potter has, it's like it's this rough place in the clay, and the potter's like, ugh, that's got to get out. And he can't, it's like it literally hinders the image he's creating because it's an obstacle to the movement of his hands in our lives. He's still moving. He's undeterred. He is still faithful. But our disobedience is literally hindering his movement. And so we care enough about you to do a study that helps you remove those so you're released to be created into the image you were designed to be created in. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you saved us, that you are saving us, and that you will continue to save us for eternity. Father, I praise you that, that even in our completion, our completion, I don't believe God will ever be a complete knowledge of you. The angels have lived in heaven for eternity. Everyone, everyone you created them. And they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is to come. Because you're continually revealing some part of you they've never seen before. Father God, we will live in eternity always learning and being shaped and growing in our knowledge of, of God. That's why it's never boring. It's fantastic and it's beautiful. And, Father, eternity for us does not begin when you return or when we die. Eternity began the moment we entered into your kingdom. And if we're in your kingdom now, it's the same kingdom will be for eternity. And so, Father, eternity began the moment that you entered our life. God, it's beautiful. It changes everything. We already live in the presence of God in eternity. That's crazy. God, there's joy in that. Awaken us. Holy Spirit, I pray for those this morning who are wrestling with despair and anxiety and worry, with this angst, with this tension, with this pressure, all this stuff. Holy Spirit, I'm asking, please awaken them this morning to the overwhelming nature of your zeal and your power in in their life and your love for them, that you're undeterred, Father, that your eyes are blazing like fire and your robe is dipped in blood as you sit on this white horse, God, and what you're fighting against is the horde of hell that has brought death to this world. You already stand like that over us with zeal. 
as a warrior. God, would you awaken us to the true nature of who you are. But that you are a warrior who is also near to us and who is intimate with us and shares life. God, we just declare this morning that everything we've asked and prayed for and believing for is a gift of grace. Father, there's things that we'll never be able to do. We don't have the power that only you can. And everything we've talked about is awakening the movement of your spirit and awakening to who you are, God. We just declare it's not our work. It's your work. We can't. Only you can. And so, Father, we embrace you today and say, open us to the full nature of your love. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.